It's the week of Google I.O., or at least it would have been if not for coronavirus. And let's just go ahead and hit the reset button on 2020. Am I right? Anyway, while some events are going virtual, one major tech event, Google I.O., is just not happening. Like at all. But to make up for it, I brought on two-thirds of the All About Android crew to talk about the state of Android in 2020. So that's what we're going to do. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Hello and welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week I'm excited to bring on our guests, Jason Howell and Florence Ion. They've been hosting the weekly All About Android show for over nine years, so I borrowed them for a spell to talk about where Android has been, where it's going, and where it is now. All that is coming up, but first, it's time for our news of the week. Our first story of the week is just kind of a little silly, or at least that's how it struck me. Over the weekend, China Mobile, Hong Kong, and Huawei completed the highest installation of a 5G tower yet, 6,500 meters up the face of Mount Everest. Yes, you heard that right. Mount Everest has 5G. Streamlit Illinois doesn't have 5G, but Mount Everest does. Even more silly, the eight tons of gear needed to set up the tower was hauled up there on the backs of yaks, which is just delightful. After the yaks were done hauling, the tower got set up and lit up. China Mobile Hong Kong said in a statement it would, quote, help improve communication for our mountaineering friends, for whom it was no longer a dream to reach 8K live broadcasts with relatives and friends on a 5G network. Somewhere, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay are rolling in their graves. But hey, if you're going to climb Everest for the gram, you want to make sure you don't have to later gram that shit. Apple released a new set of MacBooks Pro this week, ridding the world of that awful, awful butterfly keyboard once and for all. Now, all new MacBooks that you buy will have Apple's redesigned scissor switches, and I think we can all be grateful about that. The new MacBooks Pro start at $1299 and go up from there. $1299 gets you an 8th generation Intel Core i5, 256GB of base storage, 8GB of RAM, and 2 Thunderbolt ports. Personally, I'd go for the $1799 version with a 10th generation Core i5, 16GB of RAM, and 512GB of storage. All versions come with a touch bar, touch ID, and a physical escape key, which is all nice. The price point also draws comparisons between the low-end MacBook Pro and the high-end MacBook Air, and it's a compelling case either way. Except, like I said, I'd have to go with a 1799 version because of audio editing, so I guess, never mind. Not to be outdone, we saw a quartet of devices released from Microsoft this week, including a new Surface Book 3, Surface Go, Surface Headphones, and Surface Earbuds. We also got a Surface Dock 2 and a Microsoft USB-C Travel Hub, but come on, that's not the sexy stuff, right? The Surface Go is the smaller version of the Surface, which starts at $399 at the base model, featuring... <laughs> featuring an 8th generation Intel Core M processor. And of course, it does not include the keyboard or pen because Microsoft still doesn't know how to laptop. The Surface Book 3 is, and I know this is a shocker, so I hope you're laying down, 
It is the most powerful laptop that Microsoft has ever made. I mean, just wow. Who would have seen that coming? Now, one eyebrow raising spec is the estimated 17.5 hours of battery life. And that's just crazy for a laptop and well done on that front Microsoft. Of course, the Surface Book starts at $15.99, so that doesn't come cheaply, but I've long been a fan of Microsoft's Surface hardware. Add to that the Surface headphones and earbuds, and Microsoft just threw a lot of gasoline onto that device fire. Probably still going to get a MacBook, though. Sorry, Microsoft. Motorola announced a buy one, get one free deal for the new Moto Razr. Well, that didn't take long. It used to be kind of an inside joke that Motorola phones went on sale very fast, but seriously, this is super quick. Anyway, $1,500 now gets you two Moto Razr phones, Motorola's awesome-looking throwback foldable phone. The phone is really great for a lot of reasons, even if the screen tech is kind of questionable in some units. The insides of the phone are fairly outdated as well. Bottom line, folding screen or no, this phone really should never have cost $1,500 for what amounts to a mid-range phone with a folding screen. There's just not enough longevity there for a $1,500 investment. But man, I gotta say, it's tempting. Moto did a lot of smart things with this phone, which makes me excited for the Gen 2, so bring on the Gen 2. And in the meantime, if you want two Moto Razors, you can grab this deal. Murder Hornets. Murder Hornets. Yeah, that's another thing we get to worry about now because Asian murder hornets have popped up in Western Canada and the United States. These things are the size of bottle caps, which is insanely large for an insect, especially one that stings. Fortunately for Midwesterners like myself, they're located largely out west and it's going to be a while before they spread this far. But if they do... Damn it, I'm going to start carrying around a tennis racket to fend these things off. Oh, the holes in the tennis racket are too big, you say? Unfortunately, no, they're not. That's how freaking big these things are, and they're here. Go ahead and sleep tonight. I dare you. Panos Panay of Microsoft, who is, by the way, my favorite tech demo presenter of all time, and it's not even close, wrote a blog post on Microsoft earlier this week letting everyone know, blah, 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 Windows is great. Oh, and by the way, we won't be shipping Windows 10X on dual-screen devices anytime soon. Also, blah, blah, blah is going to be online this year because we don't want to kill you, yada, yada, yada. So it's a really long-winded way of saying the Surface Duo or Neo, I forget which one is the tablet, won't be shipping in 2020. It's a bummer for sure, but certainly not the first, nor will it be the last tech project delayed by COVID-19. But getting back to Panos Panay, his delivery is so great because it's like he's telling you what you already know. Like, yeah, this is the most beautiful laptop ever made. You can see that. I don't have to tell you that. And you're like, you're right, you don't have to. Oh, yeah, I see what you did there. And he's like, exactly. So sure, it sucks that we won't see folding Windows 10X this year, but Panos told us, so you know, it's kind of okay. Tim Bray, vice president and distinguished engineer at Amazon's AWS, resigned from his position at the shopping giant in protest over treatment of workers, costing him probably around a million dollars or so. At issue was the punishment of workers, all of whom were either women, people of color, or both, for organizing protests against Amazon's treatment of warehouse workers. It seems Amazon hasn't figured out that, while they aspire to have warehouses full of robots, the workers that are there now are not actually 
actually robots. Despite claims that Amazon will spend $4 billion with a B dollars on COVID prevention and protection in Q2, Amazon still treats the workers themselves like crap, but Bray couldn't take it anymore. He tried to fix the system from within, but when he was unsuccessful, he left the system, not wanting to be a part of it at all. And I applaud that for sure. If more high-ranking leaders took the moral high ground, corporate America wouldn't be the slaughterhouse that it is today. So good on you, Tim, and I'm guessing by the fact that you can afford to lose a million dollars on this dance, you're probably going to be okay in the future, too. The director of Thor Ragnarok, Taika Waititi, announced that he'll be co-writing and directing a new Star Wars movie in the future, post-COVID, of course. In addition to making arguably one of the best solo films of the Avengers saga thus far, Waititi also directed the final episode of The Mandalorian and has won an Oscar besides. I'll let you decide which of those three is the most significant accomplishment. I'll give you a hint, it probably should be the Oscar, but it really isn't. This is exciting on several fronts. First of all, that there is life after Skywalker in the Star Wars universe, because honestly, I wasn't so sure. But fortunately, Disney is really able to leverage the talent that it has at its disposal to make some great films. I'll be honest, knowing why TD is at the helm will make me light years more likely to actually go see this movie when it comes out. Just please let there be Jedi and lightsaber battles. You can get spaceships in any franchise. What sets Star Wars apart are Jedi and lightsabers, which pretty much means that this will have to be set before the Skywalker stuff, and that's perfectly fine. And speaking of space and movie making, Tom Cruise and NASA both confirmed that they'll be making a movie filmed entirely in outer space, because of course they are. This would be quite historic. No movie has ever been filmed in orbit before. That's what CGI and models are for. But Tom wants it, so Tom's gonna get it. Cruz is a known daredevil who routinely performs all of his own stunts, whether it's hanging off the side of an airplane without a parachute, or jumping across the tops of buildings, or scaling the Burj Khalifa. So why not just jump into space and go crazy? Honestly, from a strictly curiosity standpoint, this is a fascinating venture, and I'm excited to see what kind of film we'll get from the ISS. SpaceX will also reportedly be involved, which means Elon Musk will also be involved. So let's let the good times roll. In a move that surprises no one, Apple announced that WWDC would be held as an entirely free and entirely online event starting on June 22nd. Now, we kind of all knew this was going to happen, but now it's officially official, so that's big news. And of course, all this is happening the week before Google's canceled Google I.O., which will not be held via a streaming platform, which really is a shame. If only Google owned an online video streaming platform that they could have used for such an event... Hmm, shame. WWDC will take place in the Apple Developers app and on Apple.com. The developer app will also come with a schedule of keynotes and sessions and lab schedules and so much more. We'll undoubtedly see new features in the next iteration of iOS, watchOS, iPadOS, which is pretty much brand new, and more. Plus, a little preview for you, we'll sit down with Renee Ritchie, one of the smartest Apple guys on the planet, and talk about Apple, iOS, and more that week on this podcast. It's going to be a rollicking good time, so let's make with the rollicking. I'll be right back. I have to go look up what rollicking means. 
It's no surprise that Airbnb has been hit hard by COVID-19. Not only are people not traveling, but people are certainly not traveling and staying in other people's homes. Unfortunately, that means that Airbnb had to let go of 25% of its workforce, around 1,900 employees, which is terrible, although the severance packages offered to those being laid off were pretty generous. Moreover, based on an open letter from the co-founder and CEO, Brian Chesky, it sounds like Airbnb will be flipping the buffet table and using this as an opportunity to sort of reset, which will be welcome indeed. Airbnb started off as a great idea, but too quickly the platform turned into investment properties and even worse, a playground for scams. And people who are traveling hundreds or thousands of miles away from home are particularly vulnerable to misdeeds like we've seen from Airbnb in the past. I hope that Airbnb takes this opportunity to reduce the ability of property owners to scam potential guests and travelers with more than just a rating system and a good luck buddy attitude. Companies like Airbnb, Uber, and others that employ contractors like this need to be more hands-on with those who are representing them in the field. And I hope that Airbnb takes this opportunity to do just that. I suspect, though, that it won't. And we'll soon be back to where we started, just with 1,900 less people. This next story comes to you from Forbes, and you know, Forbes! But you won't believe what happens next! Actually, you can believe this, because it seems legit. Feature drops are no longer a Google Pixel exclusive. At least they're no longer Google Pixel phone exclusives. Google confirmed that Pixel Buds will get feature drops as well. Feature drops were introduced last year to Pixel phones, and they're basically new features bundled into existing devices designed to let users get even more from their smartphone investment long term. It's a really cool concept, and I love the hell out of Google for doing this. Too often an OEM will just put out a phone and maybe do security updates, which is great, but we're talking about all new software features coming to not all new phones. And now we're talking about earbuds as well. Of course, at this point, we don't know what or when they'll be coming. Google did say that they will not happen alongside Pixel phone feature drops. These are going to be separate. But that's all we know so far, except that they are coming, probably. And if they do, that will be awesome. And we also know we got this information from Forbes, so (laughs) honestly, who knows? Joshua Topolsky over at Input Mag suggests that VR is about to have its iPhone moment prompted by the Oculus Quest headset. It's kind of hard to disagree. I'll talk more about the Oculus Quest in a future episode, but before that device, VR was basically one of two things. It was either a nebulous concept with a high barrier for entry like a headset and a high-end gaming PC to render everything, or it was a novelty party trick made out of cardboard with no real value whatsoever. The Oculus Quest changes all that by bringing great VR experiences to a portable and not inexpensive, but also not super expensive package. Don't get me wrong, $400 is still a high price tag, especially in these times, and especially for the hardware that's coming up on around two years old. There's a Snapdragon 835 in that puppy. But compared to the PCs needed to drive a full-blown headset, it's a much, much more attractive price. VR is unfortunately one of those things that you really need to experience to know its value. And up until now, there were few opportunities to experience it. You could go to VR parlors on a Friday night with some friends, but 
It's another conversation entirely once you find out that you can take that experience home with you. And that's where we are today, and it's exciting. Will we see an explosion in VR in the next few years? I sure hope so, because frankly, I'm a fan. And Oculus and Beat Saber and games like Half-Life Alex will surely help. LG unveiled its latest mid-range phone, the LG Velvet, and yes, we are in line for a review unit, but in the meantime, the Velvet has only launched in its home Korean market for now. The pricing is fairly flagship-ish, while the specifications sit in the mid-range space. All the same, though, this is a pretty big departure from LG's typical devices, and the Velvet feels like this may be a new LG trying to compete with the likes of Samsung and Apple. The Velvet is a very slick-looking phone from a design standpoint, and LG could use a little slick in the design department. As I said in my LG V60 review, the phone without the dual case is basically just yet another Android phone, which is not bad, but nothing particularly good either. Hopefully, the LG Velvet changes all that. Facebook is a crappy company run by terrible people, or at least it was, because now Facebook is setting up an oversight board to oversee all the things on the social network platform. That's right, up until now, Zuckerberg's word was pretty much law, and that may no longer be the case as Zuck set up a semi-independent oversight board of 40 journalists, attorneys, and activists from all over the world to help govern the kingdom of 2 billion souls. And, according to Zuckerberg, what the board says goes. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, will this make Facebook a less gross company? We'll have to wait and see if this board is actually calling the shots and if their shots don't, you know, suck. But it is a step in the right direction, assuming this is not a boatload of crap to begin with. And yes, I am wearing my skeptical pants. And finally, I tried to avoid this story all week, but it just kept popping up in my newsfeed like a Jack Russell Terrier on a double espresso. But anyway, Elon Musk and his partner Grimes, yes, just Grimes, I would say like Bono or Cher, but I've actually heard of those two. Anyway, they had a baby, and then they announced the name. Now, if you were expecting Elon Musk and Grimes to name their newborn Harry, well, just read the room, people. But what we didn't expect were a fairly random string of characters, some not even alphabetic. And even better, in separate interviews, mom and dad can't even agree on how to pronounce the name. Peachy. The best I can tell, the name of the baby is XAEA-112. And yes, there's a dash. And yes, Jesus Christ. Elon Musk has made me long for the days of Moon Unit Zappa, Apple Paltrow, and Kal-El Cage. So, Musk and Grimes need to circle up and figure out what to call this kid before his first birthday, if that name is even considered legal in California, which actually has laws on the books saying that names can only contain 26 alphabetic characters in the English language. So yeah, I am completely done talking about this. You might be asking yourself, how can I help out a show like this? Well, right off the bat, the best way you can help me out is by leaving a review for the podcast. I'll be honest, I'd prefer if you did it in an Apple podcast because that's where a lot of people are going to be coming from. But if you can't do that, you can leave reviews in Stitcher, Podbean, or Podchaser. 
Those will help too. They'll help other people discover this podcast. And since this is a brand new show, discovery is a wonderful thing. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadow.com slash support. That's benefitofadow.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadow.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you review. And as always, I thank you for listening. Google I.O. was supposed to happen this coming week, but then COVID-19 got in the way. So if you're wondering what could stop Google in its tracks, the answer is disease. Didn't see that coming, did you? So instead of Sundar Pichai on stage with a turtleneck, we'll get to plus it up a little bit with Jason Howell and Flo Ion from All About Android, who sat down with me to chat about Android and where it's going and where it is now. This is the state of Android in 2020. All About Android should be a staple in your podcast listening toolbox. Having surpassed over 470 weekly episodes since its inception, that's over nine years for those of you who can't math, it is the definitive voice in the Android space. Having been on the inside of the production, I can assure you that the amount of work that goes into the show impresses even me, and I am frankly hard to impress. It's fun and informative and runs like a well-oiled machine... Or at least it does when I've been on. Jason Howell is the co-creator and host of All About Android and the host of a newly launched Hands on Android. Jason, thank you for joining me. What's up, Adam? Thank you so much for bringing uh, me on the show. It's great to talk with you. Florence Ion is one of the most prolific freelance writers in the space with bylines including, but certainly not limited to, Ars Technica, PC Gamer, Android Authority, and Reviewed, the latter two of which where we shared time. Flo, thank you for joining me. Hi. Oh my gosh. What a really nice intro, by the way. I know. I'm like super. I, I feel, uh, Jason, we have some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like getting getting sweaty under the collar as he's talking. I'm like, uh, really? Two of these three epic personalities make up the podcast hat trick of All About Android, and they're all joining me for a sort of mini AAA talking about the state of Android in 2020. And I think I would be remiss if we did not start off this podcast interview with the absolute most important important question of the evening. Flo, how's the baby? Uh, baby's fine. She's upstairs with her dad right now. She's quiet. I don't hear her yet. Excellent. Excellent. Oh. <laughs> I remember those days. They were nine years ago for me, but I remember those days well. So congratulations. Thank you. Way to perpetuate the species there. So, um, <laughs> so what I wanted to start off with was I wanted to kind of just this is going to be kind of a roundtable discussion here. But what I want to know is what drew you to Android initially in the early days when you first started? I mean, at the time I was using like, you know, a pretty dumb phone and the iPhone had kind of burst onto the scene and I saw how cool it was to have like the full internet in your pocket and everybody had iPhones and everything. I think at the time, though, iPhones seemed a little expensive to me. And then I started to see the commercials for Droid, yep. Motorola Droid uh, on Verizon, and I happened to be on Verizon. So, I was, and you know, it just kind of seemed more achievable, more attainable to me. Okay. And right from the very beginning, I was like, "That—that's a cool brand. I like that it's not the thing that everybody else is doing." And I really knew very little about Android, um, other than what I was kind of learning through my job at CNET, and uh, ultimately just kind of jumped on board. You know, just thinking, "Hey, this it." 
it's cool to finally have a phone that does neat things. Nice, nice. How about you, Flo? What got you into the Android space? Um, so somebody, I think it was a Twit AMA that I answered this, and I felt sort of silly for my answer, but it's true. I got into it because I wanted to give a finger to Apple users. So. Okay, that's a legit answer. But, I mean, yeah, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Listen, I was a lot younger. I had just gotten out of college. I was still, you know, kind of amateur, just getting into the working world. I was making, had my first salary, so I bought my first smartphone, and it was the HTC incredible through Verizon and at that time uh, AT&T had an exclusive on the iPhone so unless you had AT&T you you did not have an iPhone mm-hmm. right. Um, right and so I said well I don't need AT&T and I don't need an iPhone I'm not an Apple person so you know I was like ha 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 I'm going to use this Android phone and it just turned into a love affair so w- let me ask you this since you got into Android has it um, has it evolved the way that you wanted to? Like, you t- when you saw Android where it was when you first got in, did it grow the way you thought it should grow, or did it diverge from the path? And if so, how? Has it evolved the way I wanted it to? I mean, I think, I think in the, yeah, it's, it's such a long time, right? Like nine years. How long has Android been around? Ten, Ten years. years. Yeah. Ten, eleven. I guess I was thinking of the show, nine years. Yeah, 10, 11 years, right around there. I mean, it's, it's evolved no question in my opinion i love where android is at right now so i guess to that extent it has evolved a way that i approve of Mm -hmm. but my use of android now versus what it was when i first got into android is very different when i first got into android i wanted to customize everything i got really intrigued and pulled into the rooting and roming kind of aspects of Android initially. And so then my then perspective on Android would very much be, I want Android as open and unlockable and uh, customizable as possible. And that's something that I still appreciate about Android now. Mm -hmm. I just think that Google over the years has gotten, has done a really good job of of making it customizable without the trade-off of kind of the security implications of rooting your phone and opening up the security model and everything. So I think Google's done a, a great job of tightening the ship and making Android more of a widespread kind of consumer uh, operating system that's that's safe and respectable and inexpensive. Of course, that's always been a hallmark of Android uh, for you know in a lot of markets. Um, kind of kind of the best of both worlds. And to that end, I, I think that it has kind of ended up where I want it to because where I'm at now, I'm not doing a whole lot of customization, but I like that I can if I want to, and it's just baked into the OS now, so it makes it a lot easier for me. Okay, Flo, any are there any changes that Android made that stand out in your mind as like, oh no, I didn't want that at all, or Vice versa. See, I'm still thinking about this. I really like Jason's answer for what it's <laughs> worth. I I feel I feel very similar to that in the sense that what attracted to me was the fact that it was the super customizable OS and it reminded me just of like my early days using computers as a kid and just, you know, oh look at me, yeah. look at what I can do on my Android phone. You can't do on your phone. But then as it evolved and people um, I saw people reject it. <laughs> I got sort of bummed out about that because I I really do just love it so much. I mean, I've been a, a user for so long and I want people to want to like and love the thing that, you know, I'm into. And so mm-hmm. I really appreciated the way that Google sort of morphed 
it to be more user-friendly and to appeal to more people. Um, I think, I think there are little things about it that I would want to change. Okay. Like I wish it would actually be maybe a little more customizable than it is. I honestly, I honestly feel like Google should just look at the top apps that people are downloading and just go, you know, maybe we should bake that into the operating system. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking there. Um, but other than that, I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything that Google isn't doing that I would want it to do at this point. Okay. All right. Yeah. And Android is a very mature operating system. And I think arguably one of the things that makes it the mature operating system that it is today is the fact that Google did, as as Jason put it, kind of tighten up the ship and like mm-hmm. rein, rein things in and make it a little bit less Wild Westy while still maintaining that, you know, because every, every, every OEM has its own skin for Android and you can still, you know, root and you can still download. Um, I don't do any of this crap, so I'm kind of making stuff up as I go along. So um, give me one tweet. Give me your elevator pitch for Android in 2020. I mean, I kind of feel Android in 2020 is doing what it can to appeal to everyone and maybe not necessarily getting it right a lot of the times. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) It really wants to make everybody so happy. Uh, And I think that's a Google thing more than just Android. But sometimes Google has a really hard time just deciding or just just planting their flag in the ground and saying, "This is what we're doing. Cough gestures. This is why we're doing it. Yes. This is this is the hill yeah. that we're going to die on." Gotcha. Yeah, Google doesn't. It, do, Google doesn't really plant flags like that, except for maybe gestures recently. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, in the end, you know what they end up doing is they just end up pissing everybody off instead of just one side or the <laughs> other. You know what I mean? Because you end up having these little halfway steps on on both sides and never a fully committed thing. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of a bleak picture of Android. That doesn't necessarily represent the good that I feel about Android. But I think at this point, that's been kind of drummed into us uh, a little bit about Google as a company is that, you know, sometimes Google just doesn't know how to quite commit. And that shows in the, in the quality of their products or the fact that their products either exist one day and then suddenly don't exist the next day. I was going to say like, that, that. Why did you do that? That's pretty much in Google's uh, mission statement. Is we don't know how to commit to anything. Android is the people's operating system. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Yes, and I f- I feel this way about it because I have often found that throughout the years people have kind of either resigned to Android because like that's what they can afford because the iPhone has always been super pricey. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess except for this new SE that came out that's like. 400 bucks which is kind of a first time in a while that this has happened um but google usually it makes it tries to make decisions that benefit the greater good of its user base and you know for that i i feel happy being in the trenches with the people Okay. Yeah. All right. Speaking of being in the trenches, is the root community still important today? Is rooting in general still as important today as it was in the past? Hmm. I don't know that it is for for people like me. <laughs> like I don't I don't know if I feel like because in the beginning when I came to Android, I felt like, oh, well, I'm over here. Well, maybe I should like 
do something like I should try and do this thing because everybody else is kind of doing it in this community <laughs> and you know I'm part of like I'm part of like the the nerdy group right so in order for me to you know get my badge like I need to do this thing I think however it's great that you still can and that there are projects that keep keep things alive and that there are communities that are still centered around this because I mean this is this is essentially the closest you're going to get to like Linux for the mobile, right? Yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying, Flo. I, f- I feel like at this point, I mean, w- I can only speak for myself, right? When I was doing a lot of the rooting and ROMing at one time, at one point, I fully admit I was like flashing a new ROM on my device like every other day. Like I was into it. You know, just from the from the excitement of like, oh, well, then now it's going to look like this instead of that or it's going to give me this feature or whatever. When I was doing it then, I was primarily doing it because the hardware that we had then and, and in particular at the, the early stages for me, it was the Motorola Droid, like I said. It had enough hardware to do the trick, but it was also lacking the things that new hardware had or lacking features that new hardware had. There was a lack of something. And so my my what drew me to it mostly was the fact that I could add new features to it without Google deciding, hey, let's give you a new feature without Verizon stepping in the way and saying, no, we won't let you have that new feature. Okay. I could take control of it. And now I feel like the, the, the root community still exists and I'm so happy that it does. Like that's great that it still exists and that people can do it because the enthusiast community is always going to want to be able to have that power and take control of their phones and know that they can do it. But for the vast majority of people, I mean, you know, like I said, Google's uh, built in a lot of the functionality that pe- that people like me were were flashing uh, to begin with. Right. Absolutely. So let me ask you this: We've so we're we've kind of moved on from the past of of Android. Now we're talking about you know Android in 2020, and recently there has been a fairly significant change in Android in the form of Huawei. And so my next question is, does Android necessarily equal Google? Because we've said Google a lot in this conversation, even though the title of the episode is The State of Android. So does Android equal Google? And does Google need to be a part of Android for it to be Android? I mean, obviously, physically not, but I'm talking more philosophically speaking. I mean, sure, we're in the West. So, you know, from our perspective, from my perspective, it's hard to envision an Android here in North America that doesn't have Google services on it. And the the, the occasional fringe cases where you do see that, I mean, actually one big, you know, uh, case where you see that would be any of Amazon's like, Amazon. Fire tablets. Right. Uh, Amazon's kind of the primary, um, you know, uh, representation of that here in the U.S. But that's the Western perspective, like you say. I, I would, I would venture to say no. Android is not just Google because there are a lot of versions of Android that exist all around the world that are doing just fine without Google's apps and services on it. Um, but that does create, but but that does create kind of a, a little bit of a dissonance. In my, you know, in my views of of Huawei, and maybe the difference there is that Huawei once had and now does not, and I think that there's there's just a split there in my mind between the Huawei phones that once had Google services and now don't, and have to kind of like reinvent themselves. They're just finding a new 
they have to keep the market that they already have Mm -hmm. somehow. And I think that's the big challenge because a lot of the people that were using Huawei phones were using the Google services and now they have to accept a Huawei without them. Right. And so in that, in that sense, it does feel less Android. Right. I would argue that that is the whole point of Android. It's just that anybody can take it and have at it. And that may, that is the whole point of Google's Android because Mm -hmm. if Google, because Google as a company you know, we maybe don't think about this because it's just a part of everything, but it's a search engine in our lives, right? I mean, that's effectively the first place that we go to when we go look for something. And so it would make sense that Android would just be this branch of Google. And it doesn't really matter if it has Google's name explicitly attached to it because it will always be synonymous with Google. Android will like even when it is just even when it's like the Yandex app store or whatever it's called in Russia or right (laughs) you know what (laughs) whatever it is uh in China and so people just know like Google is this entity that just exists over it so there's probably some antitrust lawyers in um in the EU that are not happy to hear that but I take your I definitely take your point as far as that's concerned so since Android is such a mature operating system, I guess uh, my next question is, where do we go from here? What Now, it should be mentioned that this podcast will be airing on the week of when Google I.O. was supposed to be. So Google I.O. has been canceled for this year, and it will not exist in any form, at least not so far as Google has told us as of yet. But so normally we'd already be talking about Android 11, and we'd be talking about the next things coming from Android. But my question is, like, where does Android need to go from here? What does it need to improve on? What what does it need to keep steady with? What are we what are we looking at in in your opinions? It does need to figure out how it's going to keep usage um, kind of the same across different manufacturers because I feel like I just wish there was more uniformity across the board. I feel like we think there is, but I constantly sense the difference when I switch phones and I don't like it. And Mm -hmm. maybe this is, maybe this is completely at odds with what I just said about Android, (laughs) you know, being whatever it is, wherever it wants to be. But in terms of usage, if you're going to slap the Google logo on it, I want to see some I want to see some congruency between manufacturers. So, if the Google logo's on it, it needs to give me a Google experience like from beginning to end. I think the challenge that that Android and Google faces and has been facing for a little while right now just just revolves around continuing to improve its security model. Um, and I think they're doing a good job here. I think they're actually making some really great improvements to the permission system. Um, and that's great to see. Of course, with that comes a little bit of complexity. You know, it's kind of like teaching people how to take permissions into their own hands. But I'm happy that they're doing that. And the more we use that, the easier it gets. And um, so permissions, of course. Also, you know, I'm I, I'm always beating the drum around updates and and placing that more into <clears throat> I would say Google's hands uh, than having it be so driven uh, at such a deep level by the o, by the OEMs and the carriers. Okay, they just have not proven to be very good at this stuff or to even care about keeping things secure. And in this day and age of data, you know, being such 
a commodity that is being traded all over the web um, and so many data points you know, being tracked on our devices and Google not always having the best reputation when it comes to data security and all that kind of stuff. I think it's imperative for Google to continue making sure that they improve that security model, that they put the updates into the hands of of themselves and they're doing that by way of the project mainline which is one effort mm-hmm. kind of an extension of project trouble in order to do that and they keep broadening it out uh the the capabilities of mainline to update components within the os as, aside from big system updates that a carrier or oem would have to approve uh, approve in order for it to happen let's talk about fragmentation for a little bit because you know, it's going to be a bullet point at every Apple presentation that we ever watch. <laughs> and like in the latest numbers that I could find actually come from May of 2019. At that point, we had 10% on Android Pie, which was the first, which was the latest edition <laughs> of Android at the time. And we still had 16% of Android users using Marshmallow. And nobody should ever use Marshmallow. I mean, friends don't let friends use Marshmallow. That's what I always say. <laughs> so, I mean, how do we, how does Google or Android or both control the, the, the update process going forward so that more people mm. can enjoy the latest and greatest of Google or Android. I keep see we're using those words interchangeably here, which kind of leads back to those other questions. So what what would what does Google or Android need to do in order to make sure that pe- as many people as possible are getting the latest and greatest of Android? And then the next question to that is, is it is it that important to get the latest and greatest? Um, so. Just so you know, Pi right now is at 31.3%. Mm-hmm, we did it just talk about largest, this. <laughs> yeah, we just talked about this on the last episode. It is the largest chunk uh, in the distribution right now. So yeah, Ice Cream Sandwich is still at 0.2% even. So anyone on Ice Cream Sandwich, oh my goodness, just throw that tablet away. Don't actually. It's probably a collector's item. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think ultimately this ties into you know my last answer, which is that Google seems to be showing that it has a recognition of the importance of these updates. It understands how much these devices that aren't getting the updates, how much they suffer in the long run. Um, And it's breaking out pieces of the OS in order to uh, appeal to the fact that, you know, it, they believe that all these devices should be getting some sorts of updates. So you're seeing all a lot of changes that used to be tied to the OS suddenly happening on a per like a you know a day by day basis, let's say they're really breaking a lot of stuff out, and I think that's that's critical to Google's strategy going forward. De-emphasizing maybe to a certain degree the grand overall version number of Android, Android 11, 12, 13, whatever it you know whatever they want to call them, um, and more kind of understanding and maybe even like under their breath understanding like <laughs> yeah you know they think the most important thing are these version numbers and everything but what we're really doing is we're giving them the most impact kind of behind the scenes through these you know mainline updates or whatever the case may be um i think they're i think they do need to continue doing that they need to i think updates system updates are important like they they bring features yes but they also bring security stability longevity all these things to our devices and uh yeah so i think it's really important that google continues to to venture down that road and i, I think they're kind of starting to but i hope they run that out over time I think Jason is right on the mark for it. Um, I think just keeping it, 
keeping it so that people so that users keep relating to it um so that it stays a an operating system that people want to want to flock to i get really worried about some of the because like i mentioned earlier the differentiations between like a samsung phone and a pixel phone that that is ultimately what is going to ward people off um and i just Again, I just want to see a little more unification because I feel like that'll be that'll be what gets people off of like that really old Android marshmallow tablet. Well, thank you very much, two thirds of the Alwad Android crew, for coming on and um, and chatting about the state of Android in 2020. Now it's time to uh, now it's time to let you toot your own horns a little bit. And I'm going to start with Flo because I introduced Jason first. So Flo, where can we find you on the internets if we were so inclined? Well, I'm just turning the uh, freelance train back up, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a while before we really, you know, get that caboose moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for now, you can go to florenceion.com. Um, I have a blog there. I have an Ask Flow column for anybody who has like questions, and that kind of helps like inform some of my coverage, which I really appreciate. Um, nice. I have a Discord community that people can join. And and I have also another podcast besides All About Android and the Material Podcast, which I do with Andy and Otco on the Relay FM network, called Honestly Tech. That's honestlytechpod.com. So new episodes coming soon. You are just a podcasting machine. Love it. Love it. Mr. (laughs) Jason, where can we find you on the internets if we needed to? Well, if you need to, you can just go to twit.tv. Twit.tv slash AAA is all about Android. Uh, Twit.tv slash HOA, Hands on Android. I also do a couple of other shows uh, there, uh, Hands on Tech for like tech reviews and Tech News Weekly, news interviews, that sort of stuff. If you want to follow me on the social media, probably the best place to do that is Twitter at Jason Howell. I tweet fairly regularly there. And uh, yeah, jasonhowell.net if you want to go to like a website that I built years ago <laughs> and has, has some of my music on it uh, so you can listen to some music. And uh, I think that's about it. Adam, thank you for having us thank on. Thank you well, so much. Fun. This was fun. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. I'd like to thank the awesome and talented Jason Howell and Flo Ion for hopping on the airwaves with me. I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work. And of course, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in, for supporting the show however you can, and of course, for giving me the benefit of the doubt.